My name is Paul Jenkins, former writer of Wolverine Origin and Spider-Man, current writer of Fairy Quest, Fiction Squad, and numerous other titles for Boom, and you are listening to Kind of Epic Show. Oh. Well, are you going to do that in every episode now? Like, you're going to get sued by Steven Spielberg. That's just, I wouldn't say that if I was sued by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> terrible David West but uh, what isn't terrible is this interview you can't run away <laughs> oh god do you know what's fair I actually do I do call you out um, Marissa Marissa is here I make a joke about about you because you like Nathan Drake a lot and he worked with the writer who created Uncharted and I joked that you may have considered getting a Nathan Drake tattoo but that your girlfriend would have had many questions <laughs> About about said tattoo. So now we're even. You you uh yeah. You just just hit the space bar, David. I don't know how to respond to that. Well, I thought it was funny. It was funny in the segment, and and it's my revenge for it was my pre revenge for you messing up this introduction. You know, some people would probably laugh at that game. Some people would laugh at that. Yeah. Huh? Because it's become a recurring character on our show. I consider ET a host. Even turnover. <laughs> All right, space more. Yeah, we are here with Paul Jenkins, and uh, we just wanted to start by, by kind of rehashing some of the interesting titles you were working on uh, at Boom, uh, including um, the one with, uh, with fairy tale uh, witches that have uh, the ability to make you offers uh, that you cannot refuse. Yeah, we um, we are doing a series uh, that's set in the world of Fablewood uh, right now. The first book people have seen, it's with myself and Umberto Ramos, and um, it's called Fairy Quest. And <clears throat> the premise of Fairy Quest is, in Fablewood, every story that's ever been told kind of lives in this universe. Um, so you'll have the detective fiction and romance fiction, science fiction, fantasy. They all live in their various um, counties inside this massive uncharted forest. Um, and... <clears throat> They, they occasionally interact, but they're basically di uh, divided by genre borders, and you can't really come across the border, so you stay in your own county. And uh, in Fairy Quest, they're run by a bunch of fascists, so all of the children's stories are made to tell their story. I mean, if they don't tell it properly, then they have their minds wiped in the, uh, in the dreaded mind eraser. And Red Riding Hood and the Wolf have become friends, and so they're trying to escape the tyranny and kind of uh, live free as, as friends. Um, but we, we do have a sequel to that that we're doing right now. A ton of the art has been done. Um, it reads really well. I love the book. It's called Fiction Squad. Um, and the premise is that it's a detective from the world of detective fiction, and he's basically a throwaway character. He's, he's from a 1930s 20-page novella, um, that probably only kind of concluded one chapter before it was cancelled. So in his case, this guy's called Frankie Mac, and he's, he's that gumshoe kind of Marlowe-type detective, and he can barely 
um, make a living because he, his, he failed. He didn't, never caught his bad guy. So he makes a drastic decision to go cross the genre border and go to live in the world of children's stories um, because he finds out that all nursery rhymes are basically crime scenes. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. he, goes, he goes to live in this town called Rhymes, and Rhymes, you know, the moment he gets there, like someone pushed Humpty Dumpty off the wall and Jack and Jill are missing, and, uh, you know, it's just this crazy place. And the, the, the worst part of it is that the, uh, the crooked man is, is the mayor, so it's a really crooked place. And the queens and the witches are basically the mob. Because the women are the strongest uh, in children's stories, and so you know the Queen of Hearts is basically Don Corleone, and the the polar witches of the North, South, East, and West are kind of allied, uh, arrayed against them. And somebody drops a house on the Wicked Witch of the East, and there's a turf war between the queens and the witches. <laughs> I can see that being more like you. We got. We're talking about the four families. You got the North family, the West family, the South family, and the East family. If you should find out that an unfortunate thing had happened to this person that we're having this conversation about, I would feel bad, but I wouldn't, uh, uh, let's say that there would be some compensation for finding this thing out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And so, you know, the, 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 the queens are all sisters and they're all, they head up their own kind of card crime syndicate. Uh, the best part is that we got the major characters on that, like um, Dorothy is the conciliar of, of the witches because she's... Oh, wow. And uh, Alice is the conciliar of the, of, of the other, of Wonderland, basically, and all. And um, then, then Snow White is the conciliar of the White Queen who's, you know, pretty drastically unpleasant. Wow. I mean, so this isn't the only title that you're working on, though, although I think that was the one that, that definitely is, is, is incredible because it's it's something that obviously an adult can enjoy, but at the same time, and great art from Roberto Ramos, like you say, I did get a chance to peek at that at the convention. Um, but not obviously not the, the stuff that you're working on now for the sequel, but then, uh, then you've got uh, of some other great books out there as well, including um, Deathmatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should point out, by the way, before we move on to Deathmatch, that the artist for... Oh, yeah, the earlier volume uh, in Umberto, sorry. <laughs> Squad is, um, you know, Umberto is the artist for Fairy Quest. Uh, the artist for Fiction Squad is um, my old collaborator and great friend, uh, Ramon Bax. Um, he and I did um, Civil War together. We did Generation M. Uh, we really did well together at Marvel, and so having him come in, he's, he's such a brilliant storyteller, and he's so prolific. Um, and it's hilarious. Uh, you know, the new pages look amazing. The coloring looks great. It's very much in the, in a similar style um, because we're keeping a, a Fablewood style. So it's myself and Ramon Bax, and I'm actually going to visit with him next week in Spain. So that's uh, that's awesome. Awesome. I mean, but yeah, yeah, Deathmatch as well is uh, another one of the titles that you're working on there. Yeah, um, Deathmatch is something, you know, it came to me as a uh, – it was really a pitch to me from Boom, you know, because they had this idea – um, hold on, we're about to get a visit by my oh. eight year old. <laughs> yeah, let's, this will be fun. Come here, little dude. Don't forget Daddy to bring me to the gym. Okay, okay. Come, come here a second. Come here, come visit us. We're going to get a signature visit from little dude right now. <laughs> oh, he threw a football at me instead. <laughs> okay, a brief interlude while I go and remove little dude from the premises. Hold on. <laughs> no. Hold on, hold on. I just want to say hi. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for your time, because obviously you're giving it in the busy part of your day here. And <laughs> No, no worries at all. Um, 
So Deathmatch kind of began life as something that I had been asked to do. Um, and, and it really morphed, you know, because uh, the, the basic idea originally was why don't we um, do, do superheroes kind of pitted against each other in a Hunger Games environment. And Boom came to me with a couple of characters, and I said, you know, why don't, why don't we go for this whole hog? For one thing, let's make it the NCAA basketball tournament of, of superheroes killing each other. <laughs> uh, so we literally had a bracket of 32 people, and they would just basically vote and see who would make it on and who would, who would die. The premise was pretty cool. It was, it was these superheroes that were put into an arena. They were never told why. They all said, no, no, we're not going to kill each other in this arena. And then when they were put inside the arena, um, they somehow agreed to it, but they, don't, they, they wouldn't know why. There was some very, very big secret. What it basically played out while well, it was a big mystery. So by the time we got to issue 10, the fans uh, were sort of flipping out, you know, because it turned on its head, then it turned on its head in 11, and it turned on its head again in 12, and, and the fans were very, very excited. So it was a pretty successful book. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I love the whole NCAA model because, I mean, being a Hoosier, that's we couldn't live without the month of March. It would just be odd to not have it in the calendar. <laughs> I could see that that be in the future with uh, with uh, pitting superheroes against each other. I gotta say though, if it was a Hunger Games style thing, I would I would have to have like a character like Obesity Boy. I feel like that would be a nice bit of representation. <laughs> yeah, Get yeah, we need everybody. We did. We needed to have uh, so we, we had pl- plenty of fun characters. It certainly having 32 of them was interesting. Because I, I I had a night where I just kind of had a few beers and tried to you know, create all of them in about a couple of hours. You know, just because it's fun. It's fun to just create characters and powers and, and go off with them. Um, we also had something that I think was really important, which is to me, you know, one of the reasons why why I think. You know, mainstream comics is is not really something that I can do much at the moment. Is um, I'm struggling to find uh, a sense of co- consequence in them, um, and largely because when when a character dies, they're coming back. Um, the 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 events tend to lead into the next event, and that you know I don't know if the readers get a sense that there's consequence for the things that have happened. Um, in our book. One of the agreements we came to originally was that if somebody dies in deathmatch, they're never going to come back. They're not. They're not, you know, comic dead. They're dead, um, and that gave it a sense of consequence. So all the things that happened were were final. Nothing was going to be revised later on by falling into an alternate time stream or something like that. You know, um, being able to create new content or new worlds are the kind of the struggle that you have uh, as a writer if you're you're dealing with 70 years of continuity or I mean, depending on the event even just just trying to to constrain it to what what you know is going to happen on, on in that calendar year i mean i mean as a writer like how i mean when you're working on big titles or multiple titles at a time i mean how much of that is dictated by just literally knowing what's next on the calendar um I think it became increasingly difficult. I think you have to just look at different times in comic history and, and understand them in context and then work out what's going on at that point. You know, um, When I first came into comics, I was working with the Ninja Turtles, and then we did Tundra, um, independent publishers, you know, um, and everything was creator-based. Everything was creator-approved. It, was, it revolved around the creators. You know, that's what we did, right? Um, in... In the case of working with the mainstream, um, initially when I came into Marvel, they were 
and bankruptcy. And so they, they never said no to anything. They said yes to everything um, and gave me an opportunity to write books that, that fit what I was doing, uh, which was really just trying to to drill into straightforward stories that had that were based in character and character exploration and weren't really steeped in continuity. So there were plenty of times when I took over Spider-Man that because I was given a mandate that said, uh, you know, you can you can uh, uh, do whatever it is that you want. Don't worry about past continuity. I could just write a single issue story about about Spider-Man. It didn't matter if I contradicted something. Um, Everything kind of changed late 2000s, you know, just because of the Disney purchase, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, it, it, it just the Disney purchase was going to happen and the rules kind of changed. And um, initially, uh, you know, when we did Civil War, uh, Ramon and I did, I think, 11 issues as Mark Millar was handing in his second issue. Um, so we had already written way ahead and we no one had ever sent a, a single word back to say no we have to change it or move it around mm. we got to the very next one and immediately we were being told we'll do this do that do the other we need this we want these elements and for the first time in my marvel career i i said i've never experienced this before this is unusual why are we suddenly telling the very people that have sort of rebuilt the the the, the stories suddenly you're telling me the the content, what needs to be in this book. Um, and it was just a change, and I don't think it was something that was bad. I think it was something that's quite understandable, actually. I think Marvel uh, were, were becoming part of Disney, and they were going to have to bring their, their, their uh, characters together and guide them, because the truth is those characters are so incredibly valuable um, when you think about how much money they make for Disney. You know, Spider-Man and... All these other characters have made so much money in film that the comic publishing is, is to some extent, a bit of an afterthought. Um, and, and I didn't want to do that kind of book. I don't think I'm very good at it. So I've moved on to some other things. And, and obviously working at Boom is perfect for me because I get to do exactly what I want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's an interesting bit of, of having it be an, an independent publisher. So you work on – I mean, on or there's certainly work there that – um, that is licensed media, but it's still, I mean, something where you're able to tell an, an interesting story it isn't going to be dictated by the, the, the continuity. Now that there's a continuity in, say, Adventure Time or something, but you can still tell an interesting story, and I'm glad to hear that that's your focus. And we, we talked about this really interesting pitch that you had, something that isn't, isn't out yet, um, but was one of those kind of character-driven books where you, you had this idea for um, for a villain, and you said that you initially, originally kind of published pushed it at, at D.C., um, oh, can you still hear me? It did happen in the middle of uh, a convention center. <laughs> so <laughs> most of what I remember are crazy people running around just throwing things at us. Um, also remember, yeah, the, the comic book resources people that took resources away from you. <laughs> just gave <laughs> them one cup and then took it away. Didn't bring yeah. it. Um, yeah, it was, we talked about kind of like a Riddler approach that you had. You were talking about like uh, a villain. I mean, why does this guy leave clues all the time? Like, why? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the basic, the fundamental side of this is that over time in, in my time at Marvel and DC, uh, over the years that I've been working for them, I've, I've pitched a ton of characters and ideas that 
haven't been done. I will say, just for the sake of argument, I'd say, oh, I have this Daredevil story. I think it might be the seminal Daredevil story of all time. I really want to do it. The response I get is, oh, we love that Daredevil story, but here's the problem. We can't do it because Daredevil's in space this month, and that contradicts this Daredevil in space story. And to which my response was always, I just don't get it. Like, why don't we just do great evergreen superhero stories using those characters and it, and we used to be able to and then and it just changed after a while they said no we, we kind of can't do that anymore um so that's really it i had all these pitches and ideas and new things i, I could have done and and um i really wanted to bring those to boom so i talked with uh matt gagnon who's the editor-in-chief mm. and i pitched uh something that is is very very unique i, I can't really go into too much detail um, because I, it's just not worth trying to give everything away before you even start it. But I will tell you that the the superhero type title that we just embarked on is just just by its potential is is like really groundbreaking. I hope um, it's something very very different that's never been done before. Understandably, you can't say more. <laughs> See, now I have to, um, like the Riddler, I have to be, I have to, like, well, leave us a tiny morsel of a clue, come on. <laughs> I can give you a tiny morsel of a clue. The, the idea being that uh, something I've always, always been interested in as a writer, um, you know, I'm, I'm a writer who happens to have fallen into the comic book industry um, as opposed to somebody who was really desperately uh, uh, in love with the comic book industry and then really, really wanted to write in this arena. Um, I happen to write in this arena and I really like it because it's, it's such a great way of writing an economical story, you know, uh, doing a 22-page comic. Um, I, all the time that I've worked in, in this field, I've always wanted to write about, like, the human condition, about people, about where we are. And I think that we always gravitate towards extremes in the comic industry and then those extremes kind of get us really bored um so we'll, we'll show explosions and things smashing and and all of that but the true tension is with the people we love to read about people because when we read about people we're just basically reading about ourselves and uh, a good example of this would be when when we did in humans back in the days of marvel knights um one of the things about those characters is that black bolt is a guy who is not able to speak. Um, if he speaks, then things explode. You know, it's very, very damaging to everybody. And it was kind of a metaphor for you know, a king or a queen or a president that cannot speak because they would cause a constitutional crisis. Um, and I thought this was great, and so I wrote the character, and we began to do the book. And nine or ten inch, uh, issues in, the fans were kind of yelling, like, when's he going to do something? When's he going to say something? To which my response was, great, that's the point of that character. Ah. <laughs> we, we got you interested now. You're really wondering, when's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? The fact is, he cannot do it. He can't speak. And then I looked at the way that the Inhumans was treated. And, and, and by and large, you know, so often somebody would get that character and they would have him speak. And it was nice because for two pages um, there'd be an earthquake and things would blow up. <laughs> but but you've, you've damaged the character. That's just not how in my opinion you know uh, it's not how or why to write that character the point is the tension is in the fact that he cannot speak so i like 
that approach to writing, you know, like don't don't go for the flash, but instead deal with the people at the core of it. And this um, new series that we're doing with Boom is very much about the underdog and and the people who are disadvantaged and the people who we don't think of. Um, I can probably give you one example. Um, I'm a person who has always done a lot of sports, and in 1997 I was playing uh, uh, football. I was playing soccer uh, in Massachusetts, and somebody tackled me really badly, and I broke my neck. And I was very sick for a while, and I I still suffer from vertigo. Uh, I wake up in the morning, and sometimes my neck is really bad, and vertigo is unpleasant because it it makes you very dizzy, and usually you're just feeling nausea. You know, it's it's not what you might think. It's not really dizziness. It's more that it's a nausea that won't go away. And I've dealt with it for many years, and no one wants to hear it anymore. It's not something that goes away for me. Um, but I can't just keep talking about it all the time. So I like the idea of somebody who, let's say you had a superhero and they just suffered from migraines and those migraines were pronounced and profound and they dealt with them every single day, but they just didn't complain and they didn't, you know, there's no way for them to to basically, you know, do anything and talk talk about that kind of stuff. Um, They just had to get on with it. And that was their lot in life. But they did it because they're a hero. You know, our heroes are people who are great parents. Our heroes are teachers. Our heroes are people who go to war and they're not walking into a battle with a machine gun blazing. They're walking into battle terrified. And I want to write about those people because those people are us. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Man, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to this. I mean, I'd say one of the things that, that I appreciated growing up uh, as somebody who's a fan of, of these superheroes was I always re- relate to, um, I mean, to anybody who had, had uh, obviously, and most children are, are going to gravitate towards any, any hero who has who has problems or makes them more relatable to, to themselves, I mean, to kind of the everyday. And I mean, for me in particular, I have um, something called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So it's kind of a chronic pain disorder, mm-hmm. but it, also, it comes with hypermobility. So it, it's a bit like being Mr. Fantastic, but um, every day is, is something where you can have um, just inexplicable pain that's that's kind of in the background of, of everything that you do and also causes a lot of lethargy. So it's, it's always an interesting thing whenever I see somebody examine like, drawbacks or just just kind of the the storytelling elements that that make that bring people in so man that is a ringing endorsement of of wanting to pick up that comic (laughs) yeah and and to to, to kind of expand on that i mean i think you know there's certain things that we just don't think of um when we're dealing with superheroes and and powered characters and people in extremes you know we talk about like say uh, you know, mutants in the X-Men, right? And and we go, yeah, look at all these mutants, and they're all joining in. They're all fighting the bad mutants, and everybody's fighting. And, you know, I want to write, well, what about the person that, you know, has a mutation or, or a power, and they're, like, scared? I mean, I mean, not everybody's going to become a villain. Not everybody's going to become a good guy. What if you what if you felt that there must be a duty for you, you know, that the bad guys will come in, you knew you had to do something, but you were terrified? And you weren't sure what to do. Not everybody is going to assume the mantle and put on the cape and go charging out the door. In fact, those are the very extreme people that do that. It's the people who are reluctant, the people who are disadvantaged, the people who are terrified, the people who are scared. And then another thing that I think is really interesting is 
when, when we deal with mental illness in many ways, you know, in many shapes, in many forms, um, how do we deal with a person who suffers from, say, bipolar disorder? How does that differ from somebody who's who's struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder? How do we treat the people that we know have a disability? Um, in you know, it used to be that those people were called invalids, right? Well, invalids means invalid. It's as if our society took people who who they designated as not having the same value as themselves. But that's not true because we all wake up the same way and we go to bed with the same fears. And so, in a sense, what I really want to do with this series, and, and it's got the ultimate, you know, the part I can't give away is who are the ultimate people, but it's kind of like the disadvantaged. It's it's the people who who have these problems and put them in that environment. And I've always, always wanted to write about this. We're looking forward to it. Um, gosh, I mean, in terms of writing, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the fact that you've dealt with different mediums. You all, I mean, like you say, you came to it um, just somebody who, who is a writer um, who happened to kind of stumble into uh, quite successfully <laughs> the comic book world. But you've also done uh, writing for video games, and you've managed in, in that instance um, to deal with, with a property that you also had written in the comics. I mean, can you talk a bit about The, the Darkness? Yeah, um, you know, The Darkness is something that I wrote as a book uh, for a, a few years. And um, I started working with Top Cow. I'd always known those guys for a long time. I was always really friendly with Matt Hawkins and with Mark Silvestri. Um, and we we talked about working together. And I think when I first came to Top Cow, I was really doing very well in comics. And, and Matt asked me to come and do some work with Top Cow. Um, I was a bit resistant for no other reason than I just didn't want to write Witchblade in the silver suit i wanted to write her as a, a a female detective you know a young woman who that in itself is an amazing story you know how would you get through be, you, you know to be a detective you have to be quite an accomplished and, and diligent person so here's a young competent woman who presumably would deal with an awful lot of sexist behavior and and all that and i thought that was the story and it was difficult for for top cow to want to transition there but they let me do it it did really well people liked the book and then they kind of came to me and, and we talked about the darkness. And I felt that the darkness at the time had it was sort of like treading water a little bit. You know, they hadn't really come up with with ideas. It was just it was there. It was there every month. And uh, myself and Dale Keown were put on the book and we really changed the, the way that he was. We took him again out of the, the, the suit and we put him into a trench coat and gave him a cigarette and made him you know, John Constantine like, and <laughs> we, we said, well, you know, let's, let's do something with him that, that makes you care. You know, let's give him a tragedy. I mean, the, the best part of this character is he's an orphan and he has a family, but his family's just really dysfunctional. They're called the mob. So here's a guy trying to make sense of things by maybe trying to keep things the, the way they used to be. Uh, you know, the old ways of the mob might be really important to this guy. Um, and it seemed to really take off. And so I was sent over to Sweden uh, with a complete carte blanche to do whatever I wanted to in the video game. And I met the developer, and they were great guys. Uh, they were kind of going off on a creative tangent that was a bit bizarre. And um, I pitched them this. I said, why don't we take a game and make an immersive story whereby we are going to do a, a love story in a video game 
And they were great. They said, let's do it. We pitched it to the entire team. There were 90 Swedish people listening, and they applauded when we pitched them the story that we were going to do. The funniest thing is that the, the, the publisher at the time was Majesco, and they were very reluctant. They, they didn't care for a story-based game. But they sold to 2K Games, who are much, much more innovative. <laughs> and in the middle of it, 2K Games said to me, okay, what are we doing? And I said, well, we're working on a love story as a video game. And they said, okay, sounds great. Uh, you know, keep it going. So we told them a little bit of a, a, little bit of a white lie. But that game uh, has done remarkably well. It's, it's always been viewed very fondly by the fans. And uh, it sold really well. Um, it sold remarkably well, actually, considering. Um, and and I actually ended up doing the second game as well. They came to me about that. So in the end, I had worked on Darkness flat out for like seven years, even though people would say, when would you ever go back to the Darkness comic? And my answer was, man, I've been working on Darkness probably for a total of about nine years in a row. <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, you know, I've done other video games too. I, I love working on games. I think they're a new form of art, and I love to kind of um, change the boundaries of how storytelling works in those games. Um, so yeah, I've got that part of my job. Um, I live in Georgia. Um, I, I work. I, I, I've been chairing an advisory committee for for the governor here, Governor Deal, uh, on digital and interactive, and helping build the, the video game company's profile up. At the same time, you know, talking, um, working with the people at the film office here and um, the commissioner at the Department of Business and Economic Development, um, just about like how the independent film scene is working. Because, you know, we, we make a load of films here in Georgia. Um, we have a 30 percent tax credit, but the big blockbusters tend to come here. And we're, we're really trying to build up on the independent scene uh, so that we can, you know, create the IP here and, and have domestic kind of creation of this movies. Um I uh, I do some filmmaking. I'm writing a novel. Um, I'm not sure what else I could do, really. Uh, I actually play music. I came to America teaching music and drama uh, to learning disabled children years ago, so I actually have a music studio at my house as well. So I think I've pretty much got it covered. Um, I just don't do religion. <laughs> yeah, you're not like, mm, not working on a holy text at the moment. But, you know, everything else, you can pick it up. I'm, I mean, it's all over. <laughs> yeah. Well, not not yet, but I'll I'll try one if I think it's interesting. You know, um, I have a I have a very good friend uh, called David Jaffe who was the lead designer on Twisted Metal, and David created Twisted Metal for Sony. Um, he had me. He they did the first two Twisted Metals, or the first two or three. I think that franchise began to meander, and they asked Dave to come back, and he came back with Twisted Metal Black. Um, asked me to come in and work on the game. Uh, the game did really well. I had so much fun working with him. And then he called me up and he said, um, hey, you know, we're thinking of doing a new game. Uh, we think it's Greek mythology. We need some stuff. And I worked with those guys on creating some of the original material uh, for the game. Uh, just, just some original materials to really get the game rolling and get it started. Um, you'll find that I'm not credited on it, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funny. Um, probably largely because... At a certain point, you know, they had to go off their own way and, and make the game. And um, that was something, you know, that there was obviously going to be a big franchise for them. So, you know, at a certain point, relatively early in the process, just to be accurate, you know, I signed off on that game and, and went off and did the next thing I was going to do. Um, but it was fun. It's always fun working with Dave. And he's uh, right at work uh, right now. I just was tweeting with him. 
one of the other original writers for Twisted Metal Black is working with Dave right now to do a brand new video game. So watch out for Dave Jaffe's next game because whatever it is, it's going to be brilliant. Um, he's a great guy and he's really, really talented and smart about how to how to make a game. Um, I've also worked on Prototype. You now I created a lot of the original materials for Prototype in terms of the story. Um, there's there's a few in there. The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Distraction was one of my uh, favorite games because you could steal into a car sales place, steal a giant inflatable purple gorilla from the top, <laughs> and you could, you could run up you could run up the side of a building, jump in the air, and then float around the city holding onto a giant inflatable purple gorilla. It was awesome. <laughs> Oh, that is, oh my gosh, that's something that you can only do in a video game. That's amazing. If you do that in real life, the police have questions for you at the end of the, the Yeah, only, only when you come down, though, for, for the time that you did it, it would be worth it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, one of the, I mean, probably the last video game question I had um, is also, um, forgive me for not having more info about it, but I also see that you had done some stuff with, with Legacy of Kane, I think that that's one that has has really been been called a, a story-driven game or that they had a lot of, to, to offer in terms of world-building. Yeah, uh, you know, that that in particular um, is one where I really learned how to how to write story and game and where I got this desire to kind of change things, you know, uh, where I wanted to be very innovative in storytelling and games. Um, the person who was the... Um, I suppose you could call her the director of that game was Amy Hennig, who until very recently was, was a naughty dog and Amy guided the uncharted series, which is just brilliant storytelling. Um, she's a, she's a good friend. Uh, she's brilliant at what she does. Um, and, and, she, you know, I came in <laughs> to work with her when she was at crystal dynamics and they were doing uh soul reaver. Yeah. And, Amy and I were charged by the publisher to take what had been done, make sense of it, reverse engineer it, turn it into a trilogy, and try to explain all of the mythology. All of this on a couple of breakfast sandwiches and make sure you're done by five o'clock, right? <laughs> uh, and it was it was an amazing experience. And I know that Amy, uh, if she hears this, will laugh. She and I have always said that that is the biggest headache that we have ever had. I got out of that session after two days, and I don't know if I've ever had a headache like it. Um, but we, we kind of ran out yelling, you know, we've invented fire. And we had this whole story about Gnosticism and the Ouroboros, you know, this, the snake that eats its own tail and how things destiny works this way. And we had, we had worked out that game just from beginning to end. And two weeks later, poor Amy calls me and says uh, – all right, I got some bad news. Uh, all of that great work we did, they said, yeah, that's really, really good, but we want you to cut it in half. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to basically kind of find a way to end that game. Um, but it, it is always seen as being a, a little bit of a groundbreaking game, you know, and it's certainly under Amy's guidance. And you can see that influence of storytelling moving into what she was doing with Uncharted, which has just been a brilliant series. Absolutely. Oh man, Uncharted again. If if we ever get, you'll have to put in a good word for us because again, that is my producer's absolute favorite show. I think he even contemplated getting a Nathan Drake tattoo at some point, or I think his girlfriend probably would have rejected. But still, 
judging from his excitement just at seeing the cosplayers at the at the con, that's a that's a great thing. I didn't ask. I mean, how do you feel as a as a creator? Like, if you work on something original as well, I mean, if somebody approaches you uh, in in cosplay, I mean, that's got to be a rewarding feeling. You know, that's one of my favorite things. That, that's always one of my favorite things. I love it when somebody comes up and they're dressed like the Sentry or you know some character I created for Spider Man or whatever. And, I, and when they come up and I see that, I'm just always like so happy about that I mean, it, it makes me smile it's something that's a real privilege um, because you know you're creating this stuff for, for people and you don't really know how much of an impact it has and then someone went to the the trouble of creating a costume of it that's just brilliant i love it you know Oh, absolutely. Well, gosh, you're taking up a, a lot of your time here, <laughs> and we're really grateful for it. So I think we've got about an entire episode, so we're going to happily devote, I think, our next episode to, to you, Paul. And I just wanted to close uh, by, by kind of handing over the reins to you uh, in two in two respects. One, um, because a lot of what we talked about at, at the convention ended up being um, – just about, I mean, ended up being about about diversity, and and as you said, you were a, a teacher for for people who had um, who had uh, had learning disabilities as well. And and I just wanted to see if uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of answering that question that's been floating around the interwebs the the last uh, couple of, of of weeks or so since the con, which is which is why do we need diverse books? And and also uh, just again wanted to again express our gratitude. Well, you know, thank you, and and. I have very, very strong feelings about it. Um, you know, something that I've been quite vocal about. Um, I'm so lucky that I got to work with Umberto on Fairy Quest and create a book that is all ages in the truest sense of the word. Um, all ages would mean all ages. That would mean five and 95, wouldn't it? You know, it's not necessarily all ages because it's for children. So when we when we were always amazed that people would walk off with Fairy Quest and, and I could give it to a little girl who'd be like five years old. I could give it to a man in his 60s, and inevitably they'd wind their way back to the booth and say, I read this, I'm so in love with it, when can I get the next issue? It didn't matter. I have friends uh, where I live in Georgia, and you know, I played golf with some guys and gave them a copy of Fairy Quest for their kids and had them come back to me and say, you know, I read that book of yours. Wow, you know, I'd love to read the next one. I can't believe I'm saying this. So that's what we're aiming for. You know, Boom is a tremendous publisher in that regard. Um, Boom is about diversity, and that, that's really where we have to go. Look at the success that Boom just had with the book Lumberjanes. Um, it's, it's a great book. Um, it, it's very well done. It's for anyone that wants to pick it up but guided towards a specific kind of audience, um, and it has been tremendously well-received. I'm looking at the new series that I'm about to do, and, and you know, we're not, again, with not giving away too, too much, I know that when that comes, I, 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 I normally would never make this kind of call. Um, I'm, I don't have this in me. But the truth is, I, I got a sense that when we come out with a series, someone's going to say, wow, this is really groundbreaking. Like, this is something that hasn't been done, and it's about time that somebody did it. It really speaks to the people that come to conventions. You know, we're, we're all different kind of people, but certainly people who like comics and like video games um, are people that really like to be entertained. They aren't always going to be the people that do loads of sports or, 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 or throw themselves out in the world. You know, sometimes uh, a lot of people that come to, to meet me are people that are very quiet or perhaps a little bit shy or a little, you know, you know we might call them different, but I would say, um, 
you know, these the, the audience is everybody, which is really what the world is. The world is everybody. You know, it's not just a select group of people that the media focuses on. The world is the quiet people and the timid people and the happy people and the sad people. It's people who are emotionally completely put together and people who are struggling with issues of depression. And so in comics, we really reach that entire audience. And I'm, I'm very, very proud as a creator to reach those people. Now, what I want to do is to bring those people's stories that they very, very much identify with. I think it's why identify with mutants and, and people who are behind the eight ball like Spider-Man. And I really want to take that to, to another level and, and push it forward again. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for, for your time. Um, just uh, literally the last segment here is is what we do uh, to put at the beginning of the show, which is mm -hmm. just a quick introduction. So just go ahead and say, I'm Paul Jenkins. And then you can talk about any titles that you'd like to promote. And then just close by saying, and you're listening to Kind of Epic Show. Okay. My name is Paul Jenkins, former writer of Wolverine Origin and Spider-Man current writer of Fairy Quest, Fiction Squad, and numerous other titles for Boom. And you are listening to Kind of Epic Show. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And we're looking forward to, to seeing more work from you. Great. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song, Zombie Kids. If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep listening.